Help defend the church by becoming a supporter of Family Life International. Your contributions enable us to continue our work to promote the faith, defend the family and promote the sanctity of life. Make a real difference today. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk slash donate. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of thy faithful and kindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy Spirit, and they shall be created. Let us pray, O God, who by the light of the Holy Spirit did instruct the hearts of the faithful, run by the same Spirit, who may be truly wise, and ever rejoice in his consolation through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. <coughs> Our ladies of Fatima, pray for us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In this, the third talk on Fatima, I'm going to focus on something that two popes have said about Fatima very succinctly. The first is Paul VI, who in um, 1977, on the 60th anniversary, went to Fatima, and he said that Fatima is a compendium of the gospel, meaning that the whole gospel message is summed up in the events that occurred in the COVID area in Fatima, Portugal, in 1917. And then, on the 13th of May, 1982, when John Paul went to Fatima to thank Our Lady for the preservation of his life, he said, if the church has accepted the message of Fatima, it is above all because the message contains a truth and a call whose basic contents is the truth and the call of the gospel itself. So Fatima, does not contradict the gospel, quite the contrary. It can be regarded as a summary. That's what the compendium means. It's a summary of the gospel message. This year, we are not only celebrating the 100th anniversary of uh, the apparitions of Our Lady of Fatima, but there is also a commemoration of the 500th anniversary of the Protestant Revolution which, in fact, destroyed the essence of the gospel message. And I recognize it's not a politically correct thing to say, but effectively, that is what has happened. Because we need to remember, the church existed before the gospel. That is, the church existed before a single line of the New Testament was written. The church existed, lived, it carried out its mission, it sanctified before a single gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John had been written. It existed before a single letter of St. Paul had been written. Saints Peter, James, John and Jude had not written anything. The church existed. And so the church itself is, in fact, the incarnation, you can say, 
of the message that Christ himself delivered. Or, as we used to say in the traditional theology, the church is the extension of Christ among us. Now we can say that with confidence because even this, the, the, the Gospels tell us this, we are members of Christ. We are members of his body. Our Lord said the apostles, those who hear you, hear me. And we know, even from the Acts of the Apostles, that when Saul was persecuting Christians, when he had arrested them, and when, when he had witnessed and, and proven the death of Stephen, the Lord himself appeared to, Paul on the, on, to Saul on the road to Damascus and said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus. You're persecuting me. Because, as the Lord said, whatever you do to the least of these, my brethren, you do to me. So the church is itself the, the, uh, the incarnation, the extension of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is his presence in the world. Now, it meant, it means, that all that our Lord himself experienced in his physical body, the church, we who are members of the church, will experience as the mystical body and in, in general, each and every one of us will suffer those same things personally. But there are few chosen souls who will experience what Christ experienced in their own lives. And we have examples, for instance, of St. Francis of Assisi or St. Padre Pio with the stigmata. Or we have other saints like St. Therese of the Child Jesus, who in her life she, 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 she thought of herself as part of the heart of our Lord, that was loving all who were involved in the work of the church. Or we can use any other examples of the saints. But, the, but what we recognize, what the church recognizes is that as Christ suffered, so also the church must suffer. Why or how else can you explain the fact that the only church that is persecuted universally the only church that is persecuted in all times is the Catholic Church, no other. Any attack is directed straight to the Catholic Church. And this attack can be human, but 100% of the time it is satanic and Satan uses human instruments. The church recognizes that the Christian has to conform his or her life according to Christ and has to endure many things for the sake of the Lord. But in the case of Luther and Calvin, in their rebellion against church, they said not so. All you need to do is believe, have faith, and you're saved. The sum and this this um, premise on which they began, of course, becomes corrupted as time passes, so that we end up with some of the, our separate, separated brethren saying, it doesn't matter what you believe, 
That is, it doesn't matter to which church you belong to. As long as you believe in Christ as your personal saviour, that's it. Well, if we go down that route, and I'm not going to waste time going down that route, but if we go down that route, eventually it means that we don't believe anything at all. Because Christ's coming and suffering was very quite unnecessary. So, in this year, 19, uh, 2017, we look at the message of Fatima, and we'll find that throughout the, appar the apparitions, the three angelic, plus the six Marian apparitions, there was a constant recall to the basic elements of the gospel message. Beginning very early on with a revelation, I shouldn't say revelation, a, re a confirmation of the Blessed Trinity. The angel, when he came, spoke of the Blessed Trinity from the very beginning. He spoke also to the children about the need for sacrifice, an element that we have forgotten today, sacrifice. And there is, whilst the, the, the angel and our Blessed Lady spoke of the children for their personal sacrifice, there was a greater sacrifice to which they were called and we are called to join ourselves, the sacrifice of the Mass. Now, we're talking about 100 years ago. This was familiar to Catholics throughout the world. All Catholics spoke not of the Mass, but of the sacrifice of the Mass, or the Holy Mass. Now, 100 years later, we're even afraid to use the word Mass. Welcome to our Eucharistic celebration. We are afraid to use the, the, the word Mass even for the dead. We no longer talk about the Requiem Mass, a Mass for the repose of the soul of. We talk about celebrating their lives as if they have no need of prayer, no need of intercession, as if they are already saved, which is essentially a Protestant idea. Because for the Protestants, you don't pray for the dead. They are where they are. If they're dead, they have no help. And now some of them don't even believe in hell, because everybody is saved. So the angel began with the central message of the Blessed Trinity. And everything really expands from there, because the Trinity is the center, central dogma of our faith and with it, the Incarnation, and then the sanctification which is brought about by the Holy Spirit. And this is essentially the structure of the Creed. One God, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, who is working in the Church, and of course ending with the final judgment and the communion of saints. So if we to go through, Blessed Trinity, the mystery of the Trinity, is revealed to the children. Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, I adore you profoundly. In the, when Our Lady appeared and opened her hands in the first two apparitions in May and June, the children felt themselves lost in a light which they understood to be God. They were lost in God. And in the June apparition, they saw themselves in God. Now, we're talking about seven, 
nine and 10 year old children who didn't have the words to articulate what they were experiencing. But from their childish language, this is what they said that they experienced. And then in June, June the 13th, 1929, Sister Lucy herself in the convent in Spain, in Italian Spain, saw the great um, vision of the Blessed Trinity. A man up to the waist, and then below him a man on a cross with blood dripping from his hands, and above them the, a dove, and the words that formed grace and mercy, which is indicative of what Fatima is about. It's about grace and mercy. God showing us his mercy, calling us once more back to him, to himself. And this is a hundred years ago, when we had not drifted as much as we are now, when the world still believed. Also at Fatima, what came across is the omniscience and the omnipotence of God, the God who knows all things and God who can do all things. He realizes everything according to his exalted designs, according to his providence. Through his providence, he directs, governs the world. So nothing happens that God has not permitted. This is something we must remember. No matter what evil overtakes us, God has permitted it, and as St. Augustine tells us, he's permitted it for his greater glory, and because he is able to bring a greater good out of any evil that he permits. There's always a greater good to emerge. So God never permits evil to triumph. And when we think of Christ, because we must always go back to our Lord, when we think of his son, innocent, being crucified, surely that was the greatest evil that could happen to that man, our Lord Jesus Christ. The greatest evil that could happen to him was him being rejected and crucified. Yet, the greatest possible good resulted from that. Namely, him being raised from the dead, exalted above all the angels in his humanity. As God, he's above the angels. But as man, he was not. What is man? You've made them a little less than the angels. That's what the psalm is referring to that the Son of God, in taking on human nature, was made less than the angels. Yet, in his exaltation, after his resurrection, he was raised above all of them, so that he sits as man at the right hand of the Father. And then, of course, the fact that he associates us, he has brought us also to the divine throne, so that we are, according to the degree that we love God, we are exalted even above the angels. And of course, you can see logically that Our Lady is necessarily Queen of the Angels, since no other creature has loved God as much as she has. She believed. She stood at the cross and believed. And she shared in the sufferings of her son, in a degree, to a degree, that no other human being could. All the apostles, who had been with him, 
for the three years ran away, except John who remained close to her. That's why John was able to stand there too. So then, when the angel said to the children, <coughs> What are you doing? Pray, pray a great deal. The hearts of Jesus and Mary have designs of mercy for you. Offer up your prayers and sacrifices to the Most High. So these little children, the Lord was using them. And when we think of it, three unknown children, two of whom would die within four years, God used them to make known his design. How? Because all we need to do is examine the lives of the children. How they were turned towards God. Francesco, he had such a love for the hidden Jesus, our Lord in the Eucharist. He wanted to console God who has suffered so much. In other words, he had such an insight into the mystery of the incarnation and in particular of Christ crucified. Jacinta, she understood what the role of the Pope was and she made sacrifices for the Holy Father. Though she didn't have a clue who the Holy Father was, she somehow knew that in him Christ was present and that Christ was suffering in him. Of course, Lucy was the one, was the, we could say, was the scribe. She would be the one to remain up until 2005 to make known the message. And even that, she did in such an, an anonymous way. She never went on television or to the newspapers to say what had happened. She kept her spiritual life hidden. Yet in the memoirs that she wrote, and those only under obedience, she was able to give us an insight into the souls of the children. And so the, the, the Our Lady tells the children, God wishes to establish devotion to my Immaculate Heart. From obedience, many souls will be saved, peace given, otherwise a worse war. She spoke of the night of the unknown light, Russia to be consecrated, and the communions of reparation. And then she went on to say, if Russia is consecrated, period of peace will be given. If not, Russia will spread errors, wars, and there will be the annihilation of many nations. But, she said, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. And in this, we cannot separate the Immaculate Heart from the Sacred, the Immaculate Heart of Mary from the Sacred Heart of Jesus. We can't separate the two. Because the whole of our Lord's humanity came from his mother. He had no human father. So the whole of his humanity comes from her. And in addition to this, when um, Lucy was asked to ask Our Lady um, why was it necessary that, that Russia be consecrated and the response was so that my church will recognize that the, that the, 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 con the conversion of Russia has come about 
specifically through the intercession of the Immaculate Heart. And then, devotion, the, 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 my Immaculate Heart, will, um, my mother's Immaculate Heart, will be honored in the same way that my Sacred Heart is. In other words, just liturgically, as the Sacred Heart of Jesus is a solemnity, so also the Immaculate Heart would be a solemnity, which has not happened. On the contrary, there was a time when the Feast of the Immaculate Heart just disappeared. It's been restored to the calendar, thank God, but not as a solemnity. So it's an indication that the conversion of Russia has not occurred because the consecration has not been done. The children also learned that God is the rewarder and the punisher of good and evil, and that despite this, he's always merciful to sinners. But in particular, in this, we need to understand that whilst Christ has won eternal redemption for us, this redemption has to be applied to each and every one of us individually. It is not, as Luther says, that we remain sinners and God simply throws a, Christ a cloak of Christ's justification. And so we look as if we are righteous. But underneath, according to Luther, we are still stinking corpse. He used very um, graphic language. No, that's not what the church teaches. Christ's redemption, which is applied to us individually in baptism, justifies us so that we become angelic. It is not a case of just being covered over to look like Christ, but we actually do change. And so this truth also was, was brought about. But the application of Christ's redemption, how does that happen? Initially in baptism, but then as we all know, we fall into sin. Some people are able to recover themselves. Others get used to sin and eventually end up enjoying sin. We think of the prodigal son. But someone along the way has to make sacrifice. Christ has already done all that is. And so we, our, in, within the church, our individual sacrifices, our prayers for the conversion of others, enables them to recover themselves. And this, in fact, is St. Paul's theology. St. Paul, Colossians, he says, I rejoice in my sufferings because I am able to make up what is lacking in the sufferings of Christ for the sake of his church. Or in another place, he says, who is it that falls into sin, and I myself am not wounded. The life and death of each one of us has an impact on everybody else. In other words, the good that we do will advance the salvation of others. The evil that we do damages the salvation of others. We, see, we, saw, we saw this in the, in August, in the August um, apparition where Arturo Santos, the mayor, kidnapped the children. When Our Lady appeared to them on the 19th, some six days later, 
She said, yes, I will work the miracle in October, as promised, but because you were kidnapped, the miracle will not be as great. Not everyone will believe. So this man's evil action has in fact damaged the salvation of many others. But God, of course, is never frustrated in his purposes. Because he's again given us this confirmation of one of the church's um, doctrines. So the, Our Lady continues in June, May, June and July speaking about devotion to Immaculate Heart and that the children, or us as well, were called to make reparation so that we can save, we can be the means by which others are saved. For us as Catholics, central to our faith, our practical faith, what we do every day, is the most blessed Eucharist. This is our Lord in the Holy Sacrament, the Mass. That is central to us. And from the very beginning, when in the angelic apparitions, in the third, especially in the third apparition, we have the, the, the angel bringing the chalice and the host and adoring it. Most Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, I adore you profoundly. I offer you, etc. And then taking the host and the chalice, he said to the children, take and drink the body and blood of Jesus Christ, horribly outraged by ungrateful men. Repair their crimes and console your God. Only Lucia had made her first communion, and she received the host. The two younger children were given the chalice. Francesco didn't know what he was receiving. He said, I didn't, all I felt was Jesus was inside of me, but I didn't know how. So the children were already, from the three angelic um, apparitions, they were already starting to climb the mystical ladder. The, the, in, in, in the May apparition, the first, the children were lost again in God. And this is when Our Lady opened her hands and the light came out. It enveloped them. And they felt as if they were in God and God were in them. And they cried out spontaneously, almost Holy Trinity, I adore you, my God, my God, I love you, in the most blessed sacrament. But for us now, the Eucharist, that thing, because that's what manna means. What is this thing is this? This sacred thing for us, it was so sacred, we couldn't, we couldn't even touch the chalice veil. It was unthinkable for a layperson to touch the chalice veil. I remember very clearly, I was nine, and I was on my way to England. We traveled with a priest on the boat. He said Mass for us, I remember very clearly. And after Mass, he was putting away the the vestments and the um, vessels, and I 
touched the chalice. And it was as if I had done the his reaction was such that I'd done the worst thing. I've never forgotten that. It was so sacred. That's only the vessels. And of course, to receive, to, to think of touching the sacred host itself was you know, unthinkable 100 years ago. Now, it's scarcely even thought of as sacred. Only yesterday at Mass, there's a, a young boy chewing gum and then coming up to communion. This is how far we've reached. You cannot blame the child. He has not been taught. He has no concept of the sacredness of this thing, the Holy Eucharist. In Fatima, the reality of heaven, hell and purgatory were clearly revealed. Our Lady explicitly spoke of all three. Where are you from? From heaven. Where is Amelia? She is in purgatory. And she showed the children the vision of hell. Yet today we have those who deny the existence of purgatory and many deny even the existence of hell. And they laugh at the very idea of there's such a person as the devil. Yet, not so. In, in um, there's so many passages in scripture which speak about the, the um, purgatory, the cleansing fire, 1 Corinthians 3.15, or St. Peter, 1 Peter 1.7, the sins against the Holy Spirit which are, cannot be forgiven in this world or the next. But if there are sins that be forgiven in the next, there's no need to say it in this world or the next. So there are some some conditions that can be forgiven in the next. We, in, in um, St. Matthew's Gospel, the fifth chapter, our Lord tells us that make friends, be reconciled with your opponent in good time while you're on the way to court with him. Otherwise, you'll be handed over to the judge, the judge the office, hand you over to the officer, the officer will throw you in prison, you will not get out till you've paid the very last penny. So it's possible to get out, provided that last penny is paid. Again, purgatory. As I said, the church existed before the scriptures. And what is gathered in the scriptures are the essentials. Yet, even the things that are not said explicitly are contained within the scriptures. So we can say it another way. All that is written in the scriptures is true, but not all truth is found in the scriptures. God expects us to use our common sense and our reason. That's why he gave them to us. The children were also Instructed, and they saw the existence of angels, and in particular, the guardian angels. The angel who came to them said, I am the angel of peace. I am the angel of Portugal. I am its guardian angel. And then again in the scriptures, we read many places about the existence of angels. Matthew 18.10, our Lord says, Do not offend these little ones, because their angels are constantly in the presence of my Father in heaven. 
in Psalm 103, we read of angels. Daniel 10, um, 9 and 12, we read of the guardian angel of Israel, Gabriel, um, and, and Michael. And um, in Colossians, St. Paul speaks of the ranks of angels, in particular the choirs. And in Hebrews, unto which of the angels did he say, at any time you are my son, etc., etc. So the, the New Testament is replete with the appearance of angels. St. Peter in prison wasn't an angel who came to freedom, to, to give another example. The children were made to understand, again in line with the church's teaching, of that sanctity, holiness, is the precondition, is a necessary condition for true happiness, even here on earth. If we do not begin by sanctifying ourselves, we can never be truly happy. And that we have to have a spirit of docility and correspond to the grace God gives us. And that there's always this mysterious mixture of divine action and human effort. God does what we cannot do, but God expects us to do, for us to do what we can. We are in a partnership with him. We are not on our own. And at the same time, it is not God who is doing everything. But we are in this intimate partnership with, with God. In other words, we have free will. And we have before us always water or the fire. We have before us always good and evil. We have before us always life and death. God has given us a choice. Whichever we prefer, he will give it to us. But we have free will. This is what we need to remember. And so, whilst our will Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. The angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord to thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Behold the handmaid of the Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord to thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. And the word was made flesh. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord to thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Pray for us, O Holy Mother of God. Let us pray. Go forth, we beseech thee, O Lord, thy grace into our hearts, that we, to whom the incarnation of Christ, thy Son, was made known by the message of an angel, May by his passion and cross be brought to the glory of his resurrection to the same Christ our Lord. May the divine assistance remain always with us. Let's let God rest in peace. Amen. So the <clears throat> sanctity then is the measure, the foundation of true happiness. As the angel said, above all, accept and bear with submission the suffering. God will send you. 
Our Lady asks her children, do you wish to offer up to God all the sufferings he desires to send you in reparation for the sins by which he's offended and in supplication for sinners? The children had free will and Our Lady was simply asking them, were they willing? And of course they said they were. The reality of sin is offense against God and against the Immaculate Heart of Mary with all the tragic consequences for not individuals but also for nations comes out very clearly. Make everything, the angel said, everything that you do, make it a sacrifice. In this way, you will bring peace to your country. So, for us to be at peace as a society, we have to make supplication. It's not just going to appear. We don't just ask God, give us peace. We have to make reparation. We have to do something. Make sacrifices. Equally, Our Lady said to the children, are you willing to offer yourselves to God and to bear all the sufferings that he will send you? And then the warning on, in July, when you see a light illumined by an unknown light, know that God is about to punish the, war, the world um, for its crimes by means of war, famine, persecution of the church and of the Holy Father. The solidarity of the mystical body, the teaching of the mystical body, that we are living members of the church, we are living stones in the church, comes out very clearly as well. Um, as I said, each sin reduces grace and endangers others. Our Lady said this very clearly at Valinos on the 19th of August. And in the scriptures we read, no one lives for himself alone, but we live for each other. That's Romans 14. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one is honored, all rejoice. Um, 1 Corinthians 12. The children were also told by the necessity of um, prayer, prayer and penance with its value for atonement and intercession. And all of this is rooted in the scriptures. So we have John the Baptist preaching penance, repent, repent, repent. Our Lord takes up a message from John. His first words are repent. Um, we read in the prophet Joel the same thing. In Isaiah, the same thing. In Matthew chapter 6, the same thing. St. Peter, about the necessity for prayer and penance. We know also of the intercession of our Blessed Lady, which is, of course, one of the um, doctrines that's highly disputed, but nonetheless, Our Lady said very clearly that she alone can help in the present circumstances. And just as Christ is the sole mediator of redemption, Our Lady is the co-mediatrix for the application of grace. In other words, there is no grace we receive that doesn't come through her. Mediatrix of all graces. The greatest grace we received is that of her son. God became man through her. That's the greatest. So if the greatest comes, isn't it logical? The lesser ones too. The love of the heart of Jesus and the Immaculate Heart of Mary are the two great revelations of of Fatima, and this was given as uh, by both by the angel and by our um, by Our Lady. The angel saying, 
the hearts of Jesus and Mary are attentive to the voice of your supplications. The hearts of Jesus and Mary have designs of mercy upon you. And again, at the in the um, August in the June 13th apparition, 1929, devotion of the Immaculate Heart is the same level of the Sacred Heart. The importance of Marian devotions, particularly the excellence and efficacy of the Rosary and the, the new devotion then of the First Saturdays and the value of the consecration of the Immaculate Heart come out in all six of the apparitions. This comes out again and again and again. Our Lady can intercede and that devotion to her will always be a safe haven for us. The importance of the First Saturday and the value of consecration to the Immaculate Heart. This, um, these apparitions transformed the lives of the children. It was very visible. They were no longer little children playing. They were serious adults, conscious of the evils all around them. The children even lost their natural fear of death. They were not afraid of death. When the mayor threatened to boil them, they said, it doesn't matter, we are going to heaven. They were convinced of this. The, the, um, additionally, the children also were great evangelists. They were making reparation for sinners. They wanted to convert the whole world. And they weren't going to do it by speaking about it. They were going to do it simply by suffering. And they did this willingly. They even went to the extent of tying cords around their waists. So much so that Our Lady said to them, Lord, is pleased with the sacrifices, but do not sleep with those cords. When they fell ill, both Francesco and Jacinta gave Lucia the cords and said, hide it, because their parents did not know. The, the last apparition, the children saw not the dance of the sun, but they saw the three tableaus. The first, that of St. Joseph with the child Jesus and Our Lady. The second, <coughs> the second, that of Our Lord the Man and Our Lady of Sorrows. And the third, Our Lady Mount Carmel, which is a tableau of the Holy Family. The um, the Lord's suffering and of course the, the glories of heaven in Our Lady Mount Carmel. So we have the, the joyful, sorrowful and glorious mysteries. But in the first one, the family, this is how we can detect um, the importance of the family. Especially when we pray the joyful mysteries. We focus in on the holy family itself. And that in, in the subtle way Our Lady is saying that the great attack would be on the family. And Cardinal Kafara, when he was made the um, president of the Pontifical Council for the Family by John Paul II, he wrote to Sister Lucia, simply asking her to pray for him. And he was surprised to get a response, in which he said, do not be afraid to take on this battle because Our Lady is with you. 
Satan has determined that this, that he, certain, Satan is determined to enter into a final conflict over, um, final conflict with Our Lady, and it will be over the family. And in the last three years, we've seen how the church, which used to defend the family so vigorously, so clearly, has suddenly seemed to give in. Where there's confusion now, even about what constitutes marriage and the whole question of divorce, which, of course, is unthinkable. The, so the sanctification, then, of the family itself, the, the Christian family, is now critical. Um, in, but even so, we do not despair because, as Our Lady said, in the end, my immaculate heart will triumph. And so we can summarize um, these points, at least try to, and reduce it to a list which, which the major catechetical truths communicated to the children by Our Lady in six apparitions that took place. It's important to remember the essential components of the message of Fatima are faith, conversion to Christ, and reparation. The miracles, the signs, and all these other things are very important, but they are secondary. Because the message of Fatima is directed to us, and we're asked to increase our faith. We're asked to convert to Christ. We have to have a full and total conversion to our Lord, and we need to make reparation for our own sins and for the sins of others. That is the essence also of the gospel message. Believe, said our Lord, believe. He said so at the beginning, when he healed the sick. Do you believe? At the end also, he called us to believe. You foolish men, so slow to believe the full message. No, we, we must believe everything that Christ has revealed. Everything that God has revealed, we must believe it. Because God cannot deceive nor be deceived. And we must cooperate in the grace, convert to Christ. So the first thing is we know that God, the Father's merciful love for each and every human person is def definitively revealed in the gift of his Son. So in giving us his Son, God so loved the world, he gave us his only Son. That shows the infinite love that he has for us. Many people in the 20th century and in this century are indifferent and even antagonistic towards Christ. We can insult, we tolerate insults to Christ. No one dares say anything about Mohammed. The mission of the Christ is essentially redemptive. He came to save sinners. He came not to call the virtuous, but to save sinners. St. Paul, in all of his letters, emphasizes this again and again. Christ came to call sinners. He came into the world to offer his life in a sacrifice for the salvation of all. That was his purpose. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. In Christ, God suffers as a result of sin. Now, this is a powerful thought. God, in his divine nature, cannot suffer. He cannot. 
No creature can touch him. But the moment God becomes man, the man suffers. The man who is God suffers. God is suffering in his human nature, in his assumed human nature. And so, in Christ, the Almighty loves the human race with a human heart and yearns for human love in return. All of us want to be loved. When God became man, he had a human heart, which wants to be loved as well. And it's not a general love or some, but each individual person, he wants, he, he, we stand before him as if no one else exists. And so if we reject him, he feels the rejection in the same way, more intensely, then we feel rejected by someone whom we love. In our conversion from mortal sin, we begin to love the good God. And this is how Francesco described him. He is the good God. This love continues to grow and reaches perfection as he desires to make, each one of us desires to make reparation for our own sins and the sins of others through the gift of charity. Um, we think of the, the woman in the house of Simon the leper. And Simon thinks, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. His Lord said, Simon, her sins, her many sins, must have been forgiven. That is why she loves so much. So if we don't realize our own sinfulness, it becomes difficult to, to appreciate what Christ has done for us. When a Christian surrenders himself or herself unreservedly to the Lord, the desire is to console Jesus and to um, satiate his thirst for souls. And we see that, for instance, in Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, the repentant um, sinner, is at the foot of the cross. And so at the foot of the cross, we see St. John and the women. Our Lady is always standing, and Magdalene is always on her knees. And so we see the sinless and the repentant sinner. Through the sanctifying power of the Holy Spirit, working in the church and in intimate communion with Christ, the Christian becomes perfectly willing to spend all and to be expended in the interests of souls. 2 Corinthians 12.15 That is, he makes up in his own body what is still to be undergone by Christ for the sake of his body, the church. Colossians 1.24 In other words, every Christian is called to give himself or herself unreservedly to Christ's redeeming work. This is done by conversion, fidelity to daily duty, prayer, especially the rosary, acts of charity, accepting the sufferings permitted by God, and making voluntary penances. But remember, and in fact the church used to tell us this, the penances that the church imposed always carried an indulgence. So for instance, when, it was, when we were obliged to fast on Fridays, or we were required to do acts of abstinence, we gained an indulgence. 
for the simple reason that obedience is better than sacrifice. It wasn't, it's not just about making the sacrifice, but when we may do it out of obedience, that's an even greater value. So it's a great tragedy when all the fasts and so on were removed. And we said, we're adults now, so we can do our own. It doesn't carry the same weight. Yes, we are adults. But do we do sacrifices? Generally not. As I said, when you see a young boy chewing, chewing mass, and then coming up for communion, he has no idea. Not even of the obligatory fast before receiving communion. Because it's just vanished from our psyche and from our vocabulary. Seventh, the church, the mystical body of Christ, following Our Lady as a model and guide, unites herself to the sacrifice of Christ and so becomes a co-worker with Christ in the world. And St. Paul, of course, as I said, is the great teacher of this. The collective suffering of the church as a whole and of each Christian joined to Christ's passion brings the saving grace of the Lord to souls. The church's active role in the application of grace of redemption is perhaps the major stress of the Fatima message. The <clears throat> if every aspect of spirit and the spiritual world is underscored in the Fatima message. So the trinity, angels, demons, the existence of the immortal human soul, heaven, hell, purgatory, all of these find uh, emphasis in Fatima. Fatima also affirms the essential importance of the Vicar of Christ, the Pope, in the daily life of the Church, as well as the Pope's mystical identification with Christ, the crucified bridegroom of the Church, which of course explains why the Popes used to be so maligned. The world always spoke badly of the Popes, and that was a good sign for us. When our Lord himself says, when the world speaks badly of you, rejoice. That's how they treated the prophets. When the world praises you, that's how he treated the false prophets. You need to remember that. Fatima unambiguously reaffirms the doctrine of hellfire, not a, something we hear about um, these days and the real possibility of eternal damnation. We don't hear that at all, not even at funerals. We get the impression everybody sit, sitting at the table of the Lord. The journey is complete and they arrive safely. We have no such guarantee, none. We have to presume the worst, and then we'll be happily surprised. The Christian's union with Christ in suffering, death, and resurrection leads to perfect union with him in heaven and the resurrection of the flesh on the last day. That also was at, at Fatima. Our Lady reveals above all her spiritual maternity in the way, is the way to fidelity to Christ and eternal life. Through the total consecration to Mary, the Christian accepts and benefits from her maternal protection in the spirit. And of course, there were many saints who preached this, the greatest perhaps being um, St. Louis Mary de Montfort, but we have others like St. John Eudes and St. Maximilian Colby. At um, La Salette and at um, 
uh, Rudra back, Our Lady also made that very clear. So then, a cursory analysis of these fundamental catechetical truths leads one to see that Our Lady presented the children with the truth about God, the creed, the way to respond to God in love, the commandments, as well as the means of conversion and growth in sanctity, the mass, the sacraments, and personal prayer. The message of Fatima is unmistakably God-centered, theocentric. It is also Christocentric and leads to active participation in the life of Christ as at a deep spiritual level. The teaching of Our Lady at Fatima was perfectly adapted to the understanding of the children, yet able to be of benefit to every member of the church, including the most intellectual and sophisticated. Just like the rosary, the simplest person can, great, can achieve great benefit out of the rosary, as much as the intellectual and spiritual giants among us. But in both cases, what is required? Humility. Not dependent on our own efforts, but rather on the motion of the Spirit who is with us. The scriptural doctrine of the two ways is at the heart of the Fatima message. Each person must make a choice, the way of life or the way of death, unbelief and rebellion or faith and conversion, self or Christ, hell or heaven. Though, <clears throat> through the innocent children of Fatima, Our Lady has asked the Church in the 20th century, in the 21st century and beyond, to be very conscious of the choice which by necessity confronts every person, even the very young, the choice of eternal life or eternal death. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Amen. Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This MP3 recording has been made available by Family Life International. Help us to make many more available in order to promote our Catholic faith. Go to www.familyandlife.org.uk and donate today. Mm -hmm.